Get Advisor Fit with Olivia Looper, a series of interviews with financial consultants and industry experts helping financial advisors strategize, market, and grow their business using core fitness values and analogies. Do something today that your future self will thank you for with Get Advisor Fit. Here's your host, Olivia Looper. Hey guys, welcome back to Get Advisor Fit, where we encourage you to lift heavy, invest often, and market your ass off. Today, I am joined by a dear friend, Nora Denuzzo. Is that how you say your last name? That's a good pro- Italian pronunciation of it, yes. <laughs> Denuzzo, if you're feeling spicy in Italian. Just Denuzzo, if you're American. <laughs> okay, Nora Denuzzo, Denuzzo, with the pasta on the side. Uh, I am so excited to have Nora here today. I met Nora in a first-gen entrepreneurs group in January, and the minute I met her, I could tell she was smart as a whip. What is it that you tell people about um, your age and because you've been in <laughs> advertising? Yes. Yeah, so, okay. So, full disclosure, I'm 39. I'm approaching the big 4-0 this year in December. Um, but what I say about advertising, so I worked for 15 years in advertising at agencies, um, independent agencies before I started my consultancy, which is called Pitcher. Um, but what we say about advertising is that like we're working at warp speed and we also work like 16 hours a day. So we say that we smash three years worth of work into one year as compared to like some corporate companies that maybe, you know, work a little more nine to five. So I have 45 years of experience and I'm 39 years old. Yes. So excuse me if you're having any qualms or questions about why Nora is here. It's because she has 45 years of experience, which is more than I could say for most of us. So Nora is the is the founder of Pitcher, which is a growth consultancy for entrepreneurs and small businesses under 25 million. Nora just has so much knowledge that I cannot wait for her to share with you guys today. Nora, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background, and specifically how you got into consulting and brand marketing. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Olivia, for having me. And I always enjoy talking to you in and out of First Gen. So it's been a great community to connect me with other founders, which really is my passion and my mission is to help founders grow their businesses at whatever size of growth you are or stage or phase of growth. The, the reality is that all founders need to keep growing, right? We need to keep going up and to the right. So, you know, you specifically focus on wealth advisors and financial advisors. My background is pretty broad. Working for ad agencies, I've pitched hundreds of companies in my career, everything from B2B to B2C to D to C to B2B to C to B2B to B, <laughs> like all, all of it. It's, it's, it's all the Bs and all the Cs. <laughs> And all the deeds. Um, yeah, so I've, I've pitched it all. Uh, and it's been really interesting to just get that window into all of these different types of businesses and, and everything from big businesses to small businesses, how big businesses grow, how small businesses grow. The, the thing of an agency, though, the way an agency model is structured is a little bit antiquated and it really doesn't work for small businesses. So what I found is over time, you know, I really had this passion to work on startups, to work on innovation. I worked on several innovation product uh, projects, like new product innovation for Fortune 500 companies. And I really wanted to be able to do that in the startup space. But the reality is when you have an agency, an ad agency of 20, 50, 100, 200, 500 people, you know, that's a big payroll to carry. That's a lot of overhead. That's a building with a lot of lights and beer pong, you know, like fridge and table and all of the fun things that are in agencies or in companies, right? You know, that, that keep people there and, and happy and entertained. And so, you know, what may what happens then is agencies can't really work with small businesses. They're not structured to do that, you know. So when I would have a small business approach me at the ad agency, they would usually say, you know, hey, we're in series A or B, we've got some investment, but we're scaling, you know, we've got $50,000, $100,000. And I would say, well, if you don't have 250 or $500,000, can't help you, you know, which sunk. And I was always trying to like get creative. And I talk a lot now about getting creative. Um, and if you're hearing something rattling, it's my heat vent because it's cold here and it was hailing a few minutes ago. <laughs> Olivia's in Florida. I'm in Pennsylvania where it's Ailing, thank you. Almost oh, in May, um, but anyway. So yeah, if you hear a little rattle, that's a good old heat, heat kicking in. 
you got a rattlesnake under your desk. Yeah, right. Uh, so, so yeah, so, um, so what I always kind of got frustrated about was like, hey, guys, here's this really cool robotics company that's uh, in Series C. Here's this really cool, you know, other startup that we'd like to work with. And, you know, it sounds like something like our team would really enjoy. Like, could we maybe do a sandbox team, which is like a younger team. Like we have some of our junior people work on this because it's something they're really passionate about. I remember there was one we were pitching that was like a goat milk farm. They made like goat milk ice cream and it was like, everything was about goats. I was like, oh my gosh, goat memes. Like that'd be hilarious. Like wouldn't like 20 year olds want to work on that, you know? Um, Or, you know, maybe it's just a squad team. It's just a strategist and a creative director, not a whole team. Like could, could we get creative with how we staff this? And it was always like, no, no, we'd rather you pitch bigger things. And I get it, right? Because like the, every business has a way that they grow. And so that's how agencies grow is by, you know, pitching bigger and bigger stuff. But for me, because my passion was always in small business, I kind of kept butting up against that wall. And I was like, you know what? I wonder if I could go off on my own and like really activate that passion I have to help small businesses grow. Um, and also kind of just like Robin Hood it, right? Like take what I see big businesses doing to grow and apply that to smaller businesses. And I think the thing about founders and small businesses that we don't know what we don't know, you know, like I'll use robotics as an example, because I, I live in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. It's the home of Carnegie Mellon University. It's like a robotics epicenter. So last year I worked on a couple of robotics projects and I remember talking to one of the clients and just saying like robots, beep boop. I don't know anything about that. I've been pitching lollipops and ramen noodles and I don't know anything about robots. And, um, and one of the founders was like, that's fine. Like I'm a PhD in robotics and you have some sort of degree in marketing. So let's teach each other. And that's just the thing is like, while most founders are getting their credentials and their credibility and the thing that they're really good at, guess what? You didn't have time to get an MBA, a marketing degree. And that's totally fine. Like, and we're talking to advisors here, like you guys know so much more about finance than, well, Olivia now knows a lot about it, but I know nothing about finance. Really. It's the first thing I outsourced in my own business. Like the second I had to balance my own books, I was on a phone finding a bookkeeper (laughs) because, you know, we don't know what we don't know. And so I think that's totally fine for people to admit to the fact that they don't know how to do marketing. They don't know how to do branding or strategy or positioning. You know what? I don't know how to do finance, IT, operations, HR. <laughs> we only can have like so many zones of genius. Like if you're familiar with that concept, I love that concept because it's like, all right, that makes so much sense. Like we can only be a genius at two, maybe maximum three things. Like one, whenever you're going to become a genius at all the rest of the stuff. So yes, identify your own zones of genius and then outsource the rest. And so that's a lot of what uh, my company is doing is like, we're the zone of genius for marketing and brand strategy and growth. And if that's not your zone of genius, you can call us and we'll help you. See, that's exactly why we wanted to have Nora over here today, because we can get stuck sort of in our own zone of genius, right? In the financial services space. And that's great. We know it day in and day out. We see it. But at least as a marketer, and I'm sure as a financial advisor marketing their company, we like to get an outside perspective to say, you know, hey, what are we missing here? We can we can tend to be, we can get very focused on one or two things or, you know, a, a set way of thinking about the way we should be marketing. Um, and having an outside perspective is always welcome. So I think today what we have decided to talk and focus on is brand strategy. Also, we might get into a little bit about um, inbound versus outbound marketing and how B2B marketing really is still H2H or human to human, as Nora puts it. So let's keep going with this in topics. And now that we know a little bit more about you. Um, so just to start real broad, um, how would you define the importance of having a strong brand identity in today's competitive market for any type of um, small business owner? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's critical. I mean, your brand is what people remember about you. It's the first thing they see. And it's also the thing that if it sticks, they will tell other people about too. Um, I like to use this analogy. I talk in analogies a lot and I think in analogies. So <laughs> I'll probably use a couple as I'm telling you about the ways I see see these topics. But um, think about your the perfect industry party, right? It's full of your existing clients best future prospective clients. Maybe this is like at a trade show or it's at a big conference in your industry, right? So it's like all the best right people are in that room that you could go work, right? But you're sick. I see. I like it. Yeah, but you're (laughs) sick or you're on vacation and you cannot be there. 
but you know, you've got people that know you that are there. So then when someone brings up the very thing that you do, I'm going to use Olivia as an example. So Olivia's sick. She can't go to this amazing industry party, but like her clients are there and her maybe clients are there. And so someone says, you know what I really need is someone who could help me with my content strategy for my wealth advisory. I'm just, I'm stuck. And like, I, I can't write all the content myself and I don't, I don't know what to do. And then someone pipes up, oh, well, do you know Olivia Looper from Lexicon? Because that's exactly what she does. And you need to call her. Okay, boom, pause, freeze, freeze, freeze scene. Okay, there, someone just said her name and they said the name of her business. There was no business card. There was no website. There was no pitch deck. There was no presentation. There was no nothing, no visual aid, no nothing to help make that like, pitch, right? It was just somebody saying Olivia's name and the name of her business. That's it. That is what happens so much of the time when we get referrals, when we get people going to bat for us, advocating for us, right? Like we're not in those spaces and places, but like those people that know us and know what we do are looking out for us and they're looking for opportunities to tell people about us. This is like your ideal scenario, right? Is that you just get a bunch of referrals and you never have to do any marketing. But, you know, one thing that I've, and I've written about this and I got some kind of like funny pushback about it on LinkedIn and I sent this to Olivia was about this very topic and like your name, the name of your business, right? So in that example I just shared, um, what if Olivia had named her business Olivia Looper Consulting? And it was like, you know, you really got to talk to my friend Olivia Looper from Olivia Looper Consulting. It's like, <laughs> that just sounds so funny. You know what I mean? It's like, and I think that's like an old school way of thinking about it is naming your company after yourself. Like, you know, back in the day when everyone was doing their marketing and their work more in proximity to their local community, you know, like people aspire to have their name on the door, to have their name on the building, right? Like dentists and lawyers and wealth advisors and all of those people that are in service-based businesses, advertising agencies, right? You know, like Ogilvy or, you know, any of the acronyms like BBDO, like any of that, it was all, you know, men, white men who, yeah. who wanted their name on the door. They worked hard yeah. to get their name on the door. That's what you did. Um, now though, we're not really doing business necessarily in proximity. If you're licensed, you know, uh, as a financial advisor or as an insurance agent, like you can work in any and all states that you're licensed in. There's nothing that says like you have to be in proximity. In fact, most of my clients, um, I've now worked with like over 50 businesses since I started. Almost none of them are in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where I am. Right. They're all over the country. They're in LA, they're in New York, they're in Minneapolis, they're in Canada, they're in the UK. They're every, literally everywhere where I am. Um, and so the name on the door doesn't mean as much. You don't even see the door. The door is not even a physical door. The door is There's like no door. my house, <laughs> you know what I mean? There's no door. Um, and like, what does your name mean to somebody? Like if they didn't know you from your own community and seeing you like, you know, out in the community doing your thing, like they don't really know you from anyone and your last name doesn't like impart any sort of meaning, you know? So I challenge people to think about that. And I've had people, especially coaches, like a lot of coaches name their business after themselves because like they are their product, right? Like you're buying the coach. But like, what is, what is the consumer actually buying? Like, what is your client actually buying? They're like, they're not, yeah, they are buying you and your brain, but they're buying like the outcome. They're buying the output. They're buying like the feeling you're going to give them. Like they're buying the emotional benefit of like what you're providing. And I know we have a shared friend, um, Brian Hoon, that has a, an advisory and his is called Reflective Wealth. And it's like, it's all about for people who have like kind of burnt out and are are feeling like, you know, they like can't go on. And it's like, it's a moment of like reflection to like reflect on yourself and like, what do you even want in your life? Like, look in the mirror, like what, who are you today? And like, what do you want out of life? Like reflect on that. And so then it's like, okay, well, reflective wealth is about like that process of like kind of figuring out like who you are and what you want, you know? So like, that's a great name that embodies like the outcome for the person, the emotional benefit for the person that's buying Brian's advisory firm. So I think um, that's something I try to challenge people. And it's not always that we need to rename something. Like if the business has longevity, like a rename could hurt you, right? Like and it's, it's a painful process to redo. But if you're just setting out, and I know, Olivia, we've talked about this. Like if you're going from a broker dealer to an RIA, you know, type of environment, like yeah. you have the opportunity to brand yourself as anything you want. So before you just slap your name on the door, the virtual door, think about like what your end 
customer is buying and what they want to buy. And then think about like the name is like the, the most important thing. Cause like I said, in that scenario, no one's looking at your website. No one sees your logo. No one sees what font you're using. All they know is your name and your business name. And can they remember it? Can they repeat it? Can they remember it long enough to get out of that party and go look up your website? This is a challenge for people that have a difficult last name to spell. Like, you know, if you have an Italian last name or a Polish last name, you know, you're going to have that name problem anyway. I do. Like Denuso, it's like lowercase i, capital N, double Zs, like, you know, yeah. Denuso. <laughs> so, uh, so people are going to get that part wrong. But if they remember pitcher and that pitcher is P-I-T-C-H-E-R, just like you would expect it to be spelled, no creative weird spellings, like just normal yeah. fifth grade reading level spelling. The wise are you know, hashtags in the middle. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Just, just like, and that can be hard to trademark, but you know, go for like the spelling that people like that is phonetic. That is like the average common spelling of something and go for something that's, you know, one to three words maximum. If you get above three words, like people's recall for your business name is going to go way down. So I would say, try to cap yourself out at, you know, three words maximum for your business name. Okay, I like that. I like all of that. Brief interlude here. Like, let me, we just renamed from Lexicon Content Development, which, holy Lord, why did I decide to name my business that? I have no idea. That was a terrible decision. Every time I had to tell somebody my email, Olivia at lexicon.contentdevelopment.com. Yes, it's been 10 minutes when she started this conversation. And when you also, when you go to type it, lexicon and content start with c-o-n so you have to like think about it way too much so con 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 lexicon con <laughs> was like this was such a bad decision but you know we live and we learn we do the best that we can since then we've evolved into an advertising uh more of a full encompassing digital marketing agency so who is the greatest greatest opportunity to change the name of course we kept the logo the same the name brand name lexicon is the same but we changed it to advisor marketing which is you know it's apropos i mean we started as a content agency so it made sense to be content and now we're marketing uh content and marketing so it's marketing um but you know if i would say if i could do it again now the lexicon is obviously well not obviously i think most people know what lexicon means like all the words in a a language or in a vocabulary so it made sense for the content side if I had to do it again I might rename it but I do like what you're saying about the name that it's easy to spell lexicon which even my last name when you see it it sounds easy l-u-p-e-r looper but it could be l-o-o-p-e-r it could be l-e-u-p-e-r I mean it really could be anything so that is so important to pick something that's easy to spell. And I would recommend something that is not super long for your, for your email purposes. And Nora says no longer than three words. So there's some rules for you to get started. Um, so I actually, I don't know, you know how the cosmos align. And then like, just like you said, you keep having financial advisors come to you all of a sudden. And you're like, where did this come from? Well, yeah. all of a sudden, my financial advisors are coming to me and saying, Hey, I'm going to go start my own firm. I need to name my firm or, Hey, I'm going to change the name of my firm because I am here's the example of sustainable wealth. And we don't only do ESG investing. So I really think this is misleading people. And I'm like, yes, it most definitely is. Um, so it's so, you know, it's so funny how all of this works that we're put in these situations. So um, what do would you say that a business owner should have ready first before they meet with their brand strategist or should they just put all their thoughts aside and come to the table with open mind and you know what would you recommend who are right for a person who's in a position to start naming their business yeah absolutely um something you can put together we would call in advertising an assignment brief so essentially like give us the lay of the land. Like, what is your business? Like, when was it founded? Who was it founded by? Like all those great details, you know, like what have you been doing up until now? Sort of the history of the firm. And this can be like a consolidation from your long version that's on your website or in your pitch deck. We're talking like a one to two page document, briefing document here. So it's like, okay, what's the history? What's the present situation? Like what's sort of on the table right now where you're like, 
we're not growing at the rate we want to, or in the ways that we want to, or we're feeling stuck, or we're feeling like we're treading water, or we feel like what we really need is a repositioning or a rename, you know, give, give your strategist, give your marketing team or agency kind of the lay of the land, like what, what has happened in the past, what is happening currently. And then like, what do you aspire to have happened in the future? What are your future goals? You know, you don't have to have it broken down to like, the KPIs, the key performance indicators, like we will figure those out, right? It's like, you don't have to worry about like what those should be, but you should have some sort of business goal in mind. And my former boss, Michael Bollinger, who was the president of the agency I was at the longest, Smith Brothers, he used to say, have this great saying, and I loved it. I've used it so many times since. When you're, when we as like marketers and strategists are meeting with a new client, the first thing we should really ask is, what do you want to achieve and by when? Seems like a really simple question, but you would be surprised how many people can't answer that question because they're, they're, yeah, they're just, they, they either don't know, they haven't thought about it far enough. They might've heard like sort of, they might be thinking more tactically, like, well, what I really think I need is impressions or more engagement on my content. And if I got that, then I would achieve, you know, what I ultimately want to achieve, but like, but what is that ultimate achievement? Because, you know, like use a, use an example in your world, Olivia, like AUM assets under management. Okay. So today you have, you know, I don't know, 500 million assets under management, but you want to get to a billion. Okay. What's that going to take you to get to that point? And like, what's your track record? Like how long did it take you to get to the 500 million AUM? But that would be an indicator for us of like how long it might take you to get to a billion or like maybe you got to the 500 million, but then you hit a wall why like unpacking that and figuring that out and like how are we going to get you to a billion and how long is it going to take us to get you there you know so those are the things we want to know we want to know your big ultimate goal and if you think about it almost like cogs in a machine here's another visual analogy so like think about your like business metrics like something like AUM or revenue or profitability or market share or any of those big things right that like that's the big cog in the machine. Everything else is a smaller cog, like the KPIs that are turning that bigger cog. So they're all interconnected to things like likes and engagements and shares and, you know, um, views and, you know, your cost per acquisition, your cost per click, like all of those different metrics that are like very much like their KPIs in a marketing campaign or plan. They're all driving that bigger cog, which is your growth, your revenue, your share, your profitability, your, if we're talking about CTG, which is a space I spend a lot of time in, you know, your ACV, your volume, your distribution, all of those things. So every industry has its different metrics, but those are business metrics. Those are like, where is this business going? And like, how are we going to get it there? And then it's our job as marketers to figure out all those other little cogs that are going to turn the bigger cog for you. Exactly. I explain it the exact same way to the advisors that I work with, because in my role as an outsourced marketer doing inbound digital marketing, the goal is to get the lead to book a call. But there are little stops along the way, almost like the little kids in Hansel and Gretel who eat the little crumbs that lead to the house where they eat all the candy and are going to be prepared for dinner. <laughs> But no, no, seriously. I mean, there are there are different steps along the way, right? That we have to check and make sure, okay, is the is the audience getting here? Is the audience getting here? Is the audience getting here? We have to find where, you know, we might be losing people in the sales journey um, and identify what needs to be done to fix that piece. Sometimes it can be something simple like your nurture sequence wasn't hooked up to the offer that you had set up. So there was no follow-up. I mean, these are all the little tiny things that we work on and that may not be super interesting to you, but that's how we measure their journey to make sure that they're going to get to the ultimate goal. Um, so that's really good to know. They can kind of just put one to two pages together a little background, a little where do you want to go? And it's funny that you said it's hard to answer that because what my, I was asked that question. Um, my mother-in-law does business consulting and she always asks this way, it's very similar. Um, but, you know, in, in a year's time when we're talking about like strategic planning or whatever, she's like, what at the end of the year would you say uh, made this a great year? And I don't know. I always feel like 
I want to say a revenue goal. And I never know if that's like, is that okay? Is that okay that we're setting a revenue goal? Absolutely. But what are we going to do to get to that revenue goal is sort of what we're going to make the plan about. Yeah, and it's a, it's a really good question to ask too, because sometimes it gives you as a marketer an understanding of like, does your client have an awareness? Of like, do they have a realistic goal in mind? I guess is the way I would put it. Right. So like you can actually do, and I've built one out for my previous agency, like basically an ROI calculator. Like every industry has an ROI or a ROAS, a return on ad spend that is like common for that industry. And then there's like aggregates that you could do across like all industries, but even just looking at your own industry. So I'll give you an example. Um, like I mentioned, I did a lot of work in food and packaged goods. So like CPG, consumer packaged goods or FMCG, fast moving consumer goods, however you want to call it. But essentially like anything you could buy on a shelf in a grocery store. I worked on stuff like that. Every single aisle of the grocery store. That's if you walked around a grocery store, I probably worked on something in that space. So um so in that space, the common ROI for like spending money with an ad agency, what kind of return could you expect? It didn't matter if you were a $5 million brand to a $5 billion brand. It was something in the range of five to seven X ROI. So like, that's a good return, right? Like, like, that's a pretty decent return, but it's not a 20 X ROI. It's not a, it's not a 40 X ROI, but I would ask that question. What do you want to achieve and by when and get like, okay, where's your sales now? Okay, cool. Where do you want it to be? Okay. How long from now? All right. How much are you spending on your marketing today? That's how much another are you, important question. Yeah. And then how, how much, much are you are willing to invest to get to this new goal that you're selling me you need to do? Boop, 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 boop. Put that into this calculator. And then it would spit out like you're expecting a 40x ROI. Okay. Well, you can't have that, you know, like that's impossible. Like, and people love to be like, I want to go viral. I want to have the success that some viral thing happened. You, you can't expect that to be the replication. You have to look at the industry standard, the industry average. You can try to beat average, but you have to know what the average is. And so you, if you're walking into a meeting with an ad agency or a marketing firm or whoever, a strategist, if, you, if they ask you that question and you give them the inputs that would suggest that you're asking for 10, 20, 30x, they should hopefully tell you that that's not possible. And if they don't, shame on them because that just means they're trying to get your money. Right. Um, but what they should really do if they're a solid strategist uh, and know their stuff is to tell you, okay, that's gonna be really hard to achieve and here's why. Here's what would be more reasonable to achieve and here's why. And so that, that question, what do you wanna achieve and by when? And then breaking it down into like, what are your sales today or revenue today? And you can get into profitability if you want to, too. But like, you know, it's different depending on the industry, different right. industries and different profit margins. So like, I, I worry about that one slightly less as if you're running the business, you should be worried about your profit margin. Yeah. If it's somebody who's consulting with you, they might be slightly less concerned about that. Right. But like, um, let's talk about revenue as the metric, though. Like, you know, what are your revenues today? What do you hope the revenues are going to be? How far into the future do you think it's going to take you to get there? Or do you hope it will take you to get there? You know, what are you spending on your marketing today? And what will you be willing to spend on your marketing tomorrow to get you the result that you want? Because, you know, you got to spend more to make more. That's just, we all know this, right? And as you're scaling a business, you're going to be spending more. So maybe when you start, you're spending 10% of your budget on your marketing, you know, or 10% of your revenue is going to your marketing budget. But then as you scale up and you get bigger, you can drop that back and back. And because now you have some brand equity, people know you. So maybe now you're spending 5% of your revenues on marketing the business. So it's not that you have to always be spending more um, as you scale, but you have to know that if you have a big, like a BHAG, a big, hairy, audacious goal, then you might need a big, hairy, audacious budget. So um, your marketing strategist should be, or agencies should be asking you those kinds of questions. They should be concerned with your business goals and not just your tactical metrics or KPIs. So if the, the goal is a consistent and memorable brand experience across all channels, the, we've already established that the branding is gonna be critical. What are some common branding mistakes that you see owners make and how can they avoid or overcome them? Yeah, absolutely. So I think the biggest mistake, and you you wrote about this recently, Olivia, um, that owners make is a lack of consistency in their branding and their positioning and the content itself. And this really comes down to a lot of the time distraction, like distraction by like, you know, it's hard to run a business, right? It's hard to keep the wheels on. It's hard to be like building while you're running the thing, right? And, and growing it. And so I find um, in almost every industry, 
what happens is that, you know, my clients are too busy running their own business to think about their marketing, to do their marketing consistently, you know, and so they maybe are doing it, but they're doing it not every, not every week, not every month even. And there'll be these laps and these pauses where they don't talk about themselves. And then sometimes the reason they're not talking about themselves, yes, like everyone will say it's because I'm busy or I don't have the team or I'm not staffed appropriately to do that. In which case, you know, it's a great option to hire somebody like Olivia or somebody like me to be an outsourced marketing partner to you. If you don't have time to do it, then we can help you make time to do it um, by being a fractional resource to your team. But if the reason you're not publishing is not due to the lack of time, but it's due to lack of confidence, that's another thing I see. And these are some common, you know, things I hear again from my clients. Um, everyone already knows what I do. No, they don't. I'm telling you right now, they don't. They do not know what you do. And if they did know, they forgot. <laughs> and so, well, it seems awkward and weird to have to like talk about yourself all the time, like be your own hype man or woman. You have to, like you have to as a founder, you have to talk about yourself, what feels like an excessive amount of the time. And it will probably feel awkward to you, especially if you're more introverted person, or perhaps maybe you're a woman and you've been told all your life, good girls don't brag, for instance, um, you know, all of these sort of things that we come up against culturally, like where it's like, don't, don't brag about yourself. Don't talk about yourself all the time. That's just, who wants to hear that? You know what I mean? So it's one of those two things where it's like, everyone already knows what I do, or no one wants to hear me talk about myself all the time. And neither of those things is true because only you know everything about your business. Everyone else knows almost nothing about your business. And you know, everyone's got their blinders on. It's like, if you've ever spent any time in New York City and you're not from New York and everyone is like rushing around, like rushing, like it seems like everyone's really rushing and they're like, they're not really very friendly. They're not really nice, but you know why? It's because everyone's got their blinders on. They've got to get to their meeting. They've got to catch the subway. They've got to get their kids. They've got to do whatever. And they've just got those blinders on and they're just tunnel vision, focused on like where they need to go and what they need to do. And it's exactly the same in business. Like no one spends any time thinking about your business except you. And so, you know, you have to make them think about it, which means you have to stay on their radar and or somebody has to like intercept them and tell them about your business. But if you don't want to rely and wait on other people to like speak on your behalf, then you've got to be the one to tell them. And you have to tell them something about your business consistently. And I love what you said earlier, Olivia, about breadcrumbs and, and Hansel and Gretel, because this perfectly plays into it. So I talk about breadcrumbs, like it's one of my hashtags on my LinkedIn profile. People are like breadcrumbs, Nora, what is that about? I'm like, all right, well, think about your content this way. Your whole story about your whole business and everything you do, every little thing that you do, right? Think about that as a baguette. If I was to sit down, as much as I love bread, and I'm not gluten-free, thank God. Um, <laughs> I'm married to an Italian. I'm not Italian by birth, but you know, like the Italians and their bread, like they're sopping up the bread, you know, all the sauce with the bread, you gotta have the bread. Okay, right? Um, so like, but if we tried to eat a baguette in one sitting, we would have a stomach ache, right? You can't force feed someone your whole story, everything about your brand. You can't drink from a fire hose. You can't eat a whole baguette. So what you gotta do is break that baguette up into like thousands of little pieces of content. And this is exactly what Olivia and her business does, right? So, you know, like, your story could be told in one sentence posts. <laughs> it could be told in short stories. It could be told in six second, 30 second, two minute videos. But like your story is expansive. Your story is extensive. There's a lot about your brand. There's everything about your founders, everything about your team, everything about your process, everything about the clients you have or have had, all these great stories, all these great anecdotes, ways that you think. Those are all pieces of content. So like when I'm talking to one of my clients and we're kind of like riffing on a topic or they're telling me about like their design expertise or their production expertise, I do a lot of work, like what I would call agency adjacent or like creative services companies. So like design studios, production companies, PR shops, media shops, creative agencies, et cetera, because that's my background. So that's who calls me a lot of the time. But, you know, all those people have all these great stories and all this great knowledge. And I'll be on the phone with one of them and I'll say, that's a post, that's a post. That's a post, that's a post, that's a post. And it's yeah. like, sometimes you need somebody who's outside your organization to listen to you talk, just literally listen to you talk and say, you know, a lot, you, you know, a heck of a lot, you know? And I think that's the thing is like, when people say something like, oh, nobody wants to know about me or my brand or what I, what I have to say, that's so untrue because you're an expert. You wouldn't be in your field for 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years without knowing something that people want to know about, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, 
tell people what you do, tell people what you know, but you know, people get so paralyzed by this notion that like content has to be perfect. Like they will work and rework and work and work on like a blog post or a post. And it's you're like, never going to run a business that way. No, just send it. <laughs> you're never going to make any progress. No, you got to send it. You got to ship it, ship it imperfectly. Like just get it out there, like get it. And, and our culture is like so perfectionistic and like we're obsessed with perfection. So we like wait and wait and work it and rework it until it's perfect. And it's like, okay, yes, put that level of detail into like a white paper or your website or like a big piece of content, right? That is sort of like evergreen is gonna stick around for a long time and like really represent you to your fullest, everything you can do, but like a social post, yeah, you don't need to spend that much time on it. You know what I mean? Like you just need to get the idea out there and see how it performs. And then like off the back of that, like put something else out there and see how that performs because these algorithms in social, in SEO, they reward consistency. They reward consistency more than the content itself, which, you know, yes, you do have to, if you're going to be consistent, you should say something smart about your business, but like just literally being there and saying anything is like the first hurdle. And so I think the stat about LinkedIn is that there are like 800 million people on there, but only 1% of them ever post anything. Yeah. So literally just start by posting anything. And then but you people can- are watching. It's true. true. Yeah. People are lurking. They are lurking. There are a lot of lurkers. I have a lot of lurkers who hire me and they're like, I've been following your content for six months to a year. And I'm like, I know, right? Never ever heard from you, but like, cool. Thank you for that. Um, so yeah, there are a lot of people lurking and reading and watching, but not taking action. And so, like, you need to be there in those places for those people to like learn about your business because the average person is not going to hire you without knowing that you're an expert at what you do. And you're never going to credential yourself as an expert in what you do, unless you show people that you're an expert. So that is like the number one thing I see people making a mistake on is even if you have a great brand, even if you have a great brand name and you're well positioned and all of that good stuff, like that's really, that's the first mile is like figuring out your brand strategy and positioning a name and all that. But assuming you have that on lock and it's good, the thing that most people fall down on the delivery is like, you know, if that's the first mile of the race, it's the rest of the marathon. People fall down and get tired and take a nap during the rest of the marathon because it's a slog. And because, you know, client stuff intercedes and gets in the way or vacation or this or that, or any number of things. So it's like, you have to be ready to like, have this be like an endurance run. And I'm not even a marathon, like an ultra marathon. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This is like months and years worth of work that you're building up to like in terms of your credibility. So yeah, when, uh, when I see people like start a content series and just literally stop and cut it off and then they don't resume for like, you know, three months or six months, cause it's tax season or it's this season or that season of business or life. It's a shame. Um, and I've like represented ad agencies to like the search consultants which are sort of like these third-party brokers that broker these, you know, big pitch reviews between big businesses and, and the ad agencies that would go after them. And I've represented agencies sometimes and they've said, oh, we love them, but you know, we hadn't heard from them in two years. So we just, you know, assumed they were out of business. So that's the danger. If you don't stay in front of your target audience, like people are just not only will new people not know who you are, which is a miss, but like the people who do know you will just like assume that you're done. So that's a, that's a huge thing is the consistency of the content. Yes. That is so incredibly important. And there's two sides to this that you brought up in this conversation, the consistency of showing up over and over again, and the consistency in what you're saying, just because you're breaking the bag up, we still want to understand that those are pieces of bread that came from, you know, a larger piece of bread, Uh, which is why it is so critical, even if an advisor comes to me with a clear brand and this is who I serve, this is what I do. It is so very rare that they actually have that ironclad cemented in their messaging to the degree that it is, they're talking about it ad nauseum, like you said. You cannot be afraid to talk about your brand. Every time you were talking about it, you should be asking yourself, did I already tell this person this? And then If you're not asking yourself that, you're not saying it enough. And then the point number two is it doesn't matter. Say it anyways, because people have so much going on, like those New York City sidewalks. 
They have so much going on. They're not even hardly going to remember if you told them the first time. You might, you could probably tell them the same thing seven times and they're not going to remember until the eighth. So you really just, it is so important that when you do start with a marketing partner, it, and they should tell you this, that you get your brand message crystal clear. It And when you're at, it, whether you're at a party or somebody else is at a party, everybody should be speaking the same language about your business. That's how you get to be brought up at the party because they know exactly what you do and what you offer because you tell everybody. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Consistently yes. showing up, consistency in your message, consistency across your brand aesthetic. You know, you want everything to look the same. I think that's a no brainer at this point, but sometimes I feel like we just have to say it like colors, fonts, um, mood, keep it the same, keep, you know, everything consistent. The other thing is about the consistency I'll say is uh, like tone of voice or personality. So beyond the visual identity, which like I think people understand once you've established that you need to keep showing up that way. But another place that people can kind of fall apart a little bit in the content is sometimes coming with like a different energy or a different tone. And a lot of that can be solved by understanding your brand archetype, which is like a whole long like other topic. <laughs> and I talk about brand archetypes a lot, but um, there's a really great book you can check out. I mean, you can just Google brand archetypes and you'll get like the general gist. But if you want to check out my favorite book on it, it's called Archetypes and Branding by Margaret Hartwell. And it actually breaks down the core 12. There are 12 archetypes, core archetypes. These are, this is um, psych psychological theory by Carl Jung. So like this is long established since like the 30s or 40s, whenever he was, you know, writing about this. Um, and then the book that I use breaks down sub archetypes of each of those core ones. So there's 60 in total. So learning that there is a lexicon, a vocabulary that is associated with each of those 60 archetypes is huge because then once you identify which one you are, or you know maybe it's a combo of a couple, a hybrid of a couple, then you know how to show up, how to sound, what words to use, what words not to use. And you don't confuse people because if you show up sometimes looking like one archetype and then like another one, another time, I'll use an example. So like Disney, Everyone knows Disney, right? And Olivia and I have kids. So uh, Disney is the magician. It's one of the archetypes. So the magician is all about, you know, like wowing and the magic. And it's like, how did they do it? You know what I mean? Like they don't show you the behind the scenes. They never show you the behind the curtain. Rarely. Disney has started to a little bit, but like rarely, like you see behind the scenes, like all the work that goes into it. They just show up looking magical AF and you're like, wow, this is amazing. But you don't really see how, how it all came together. But if Disney showed up looking like the rebel, which is like, you know, very sort of like anarchistic and, you know, maybe aggressive or like the ruler who is another sort of like aggressive, like archetype, you know, or something that's even softer than the magician, like the innocent, which is sort of like dove. But like if they were mixing their archetype and they weren't showing up as a magician constantly and magical, 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 magical. Like if you, if I just said Disney and I hadn't told you about the magician, you'd probably say magic. If right. I was like, what one word embodies Disney? I bet you would say magic. Or like what one word, Olivia, embodies Jeep? Rugged outdoors, adventure. Adventure. Know. Yeah, oh. they're, the ex they're the explorer <laughs> archetype. So like Jeep, Patagonia you know, REI, all of those, right, that are in sort of that like rugged outdoorsy, they're the explorer archetype. So, you know, if you, if you embody a different like persona or a different attitude every time you show up, that's confusing. Like it just confuses the brain of the consumer. Like, wait, the last time they showed up, they were really magical. And this time they showed up, they're like really aggro. And what is going on? <laughs> this is the same you brand? know, I've done this before too. And I'm like, what did I, I mean, I'll be in a mood or something and I'll post something and I'm like, that was not on brand. Like that was unicorns <laughs> and rainbows and that's not really me. <laughs> and I'm like, well, okay, noted. Don't do that again. <laughs> exactly. I, I like to tell people that one time I posted about having a tarot reading and clearly LinkedIn was not ready for my tarot reading. Oh, and I got you. like one like, which is probably from the tarot reader. <laughs> Right, exactly. I was like, okay, moving on. We don't want to talk about tarot. We don't oh we gosh. don't talk about tarot, you know. <laughs> like, okay, great, moving on. Well, there's a Disney popping in. <laughs> the Disney soundtrack. 
So yeah, um, so yeah, showing up consistently, both in how you look and how you speak, and then the consistency of like when you've aligned on how you what you say about yourself, how you look, how you speak, and then showing up all the time that way, weekly, monthly, whatever that cadence is, but not not ad hoc, not random, once in a blue moon. Cause then you're just gonna miss these opportunities that are in between all those times that you post. Like if you're posting, you know, once every couple months, those times in between where you miss chances to be in front of the right person, you know, those hurt, those really hurt your business. Yeah. Yeah, I can actually speak from experience on this. And I would say this is what not to do. But I last year, I was so focused on getting my pro card and bodybuilding. I literally didn't care about anything else. I didn't care if I blew all of my money. I didn't care if my family left me, if my husband divorced me, if my children disowned me. I didn't care. Didn't matter. I was going to reach this goal, come hell or high water. So I put the business in maintenance mode, meaning I was hell bent on making sure that my current clients were happy. And that was it. I did no marketing on purpose, but let me tell you. Okay. So then that was in, I earned my pro card in July. I did my first pro card pro show in September. I had enough body fat for my brain to work again by like Halloween. So then my son had served you long story, but I started being consistent again in December. I said, I'm just going to show up every day. I know that this is what works because we are a marketing company. We do this for other people. <laughs> so I'm going to go back and start marketing for myself. Time to grow the business again. So um, from December to what is it? April now? April. So I would say from December to about February, it took to get the bus moving. Like, okay, now we're actually getting some traction again. People are noticing. Uh, some of my old clients are like, hey, where you been? You know, whatever. Um, and then, you know, so it took about three months. So that's why I always say, takes, if you are wickedly consistent and you have a decent brand message and you ask for the next step, you have CTAs, you actually have some sort of funnel in place. It will, you could start generating leads pre pretty quickly, but 90 days is a good approximation, I feel like. Um, and since then, in that period, since December, I booked more calls than I did in the entire year before, because nobody knew where the hell I was. Nobody remembered that I was even still here, unless you were my current client. And even I had, um, one of these guys that I was talking about who said he's leaving his firm and start his own. Uh, he said, Hey, just so you know, I'm calling because you're top of mind. You'll see you on LinkedIn every day. Love your stuff. You know, I'm into fitness too and blah, 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 whatever it is. So you just really cannot undervalue the power of those things um, in the digital space. And I think that this is pretty common these days. It's a pretty, it's pretty prevalent in the space, but showing up as yourself, as a human. And I know that's something that we wanted to touch on, you know, in this episode today is how can business owners maintain the human element in their branding and marketing efforts? Yeah, I think that's a really great point. And especially in B2B selling, we sometimes forget that, right? That it's humans behind the scenes still as of, as of today, as of the airing of the show, 2023, um, it's still more humans running things than robots in most industries, although we're seeing a lot of evolution, I guess, in that space. But still, uh, a human being wants to talk to another human being, in this case, like advisors, about their money, right? Money is an emotional topic. It's a sensitive topic. I don't yet want to just talk to a robot about my money. I would like to talk to a human, please, you know? So so when you think about it that way, it's a human being buying from another human being, wanting to work with and collaborate with another human. And so we have to bring humanity and emotion into our process. When we strip humanity and we strip emotion out of our selling process, and we just think about the rational benefits, the RTBs, right? Like the reasons to believe or buy this product or service, that's accessing a part of our brain, like the rational part of our brain that is really about like essentially like what do you do right but it's not getting at the why and the why is what everyone cares about you know and the why is emotional and so if you've ever seen simon sinek's talk start with why the golden circle like that's an important one to go back to is like if i asked you today like why are you in business 
Like, how do you answer that question? Like, if you can't off the top of your head say why it is that you're in business or why you're serving who you serve, like that's problematic. That's a real big problem for your brand. You know, for me, my why is that I believe that small businesses deserve to grow too. Big businesses get a lot of attention, a lot of growth, but I believe that small business is essential for our economy and for our world to thrive. And so yeah. that's my why is that I don't think small businesses get enough attention and I have skills that can help those businesses grow. So that's my why is I want to help small businesses grow. So like, I think most people now that I've been hammering that for 18, the 18 months I've been in business, if you ask somebody like, well, what is Nora doing with Pitcher? They would say, oh, well, she's helping small businesses grow. So like your why should be front and center in your brand. It shouldn't be buried below the fold, you know, like three or four pages into your website where you start with like what we do and how we do it and all the technicalities. And then somewhere buried deep down is like your founders and their founder story and why the heck they're doing what they're doing. And maybe like in something like wealth advisory, you're thinking, oh, well, I mean, everyone's doing it for money. And that seems like a poor reason to say, right, that we're all just trying to get rich. But like, <laughs> but there's got to be another reason, right? It's like, well, why are you doing wealth advisory your way? What's your yeah. flavor of advising? You know what I mean? And like, why do you care about your clients? Like, why should they, you know, let me swear here, but like, why should they give a shit? You know, like you have to tell them why what you do is different. And if you think about it, I love this like a comparison too, and this was published several years ago, but it still holds true, if not even more so now, is that human beings now have less than the attention span of a goldfish, which is nine seconds. So when you think about like, why did Vine become popular and now it's TikTok, but like, why did like these very short videos become like, or memes, why did memes become mm. like a way that we communicate in culture? is because people don't have any attention span. They're busy, they've got those blinders on and it's like, okay, tell me about your brand. Tell me about your brand. And it's mm -hmm. like, we're scrolling, scrolling, scrolling in this a never ending feed. And it's like, what is gonna stop that scroll? What is gonna stop somebody in their tracks to look at your business, to talk to you, to call you about the thing you do? Well, you gotta tell them in eight seconds or less or they're gone. Yeah. And so the thing that's gonna stop them and get them to talk to you is the why not the what, not the how, not the rational, you know, like this whole notion of like, like lizard brain, <laughs> like it's very animalistic. Like, okay, if we're all like gold, goldfishes and lizards, goldfish brains and lizard brains, like then you have to like, think about how to communicate to goldfishes and lizards, not rational human beings with, you know, a PhD. Sorry to our friend, Derek, who has a PhD, yeah. but like, you know, most people are not operating on the PhD level. They're operating on a fifth grade reading level at best. And they have goldfish brain and lizard brain. So what are you going to do to stop them in their track with your why in, you know, eight seconds or less and get them into your funnel? It's a real, it's a challenging uh, exercise. So if you haven't thought about your why in a little while, I would tell you to think about your why. Yeah, I actually really like doing messaging work with advisors because it basically, that's what we're talking about is what is your why and, you know, what what is going to draw people to you. And they love it. They're like, oh man, this is such a refreshing exercise. It's like they forget, you know, you get so bogged down in your business in the day-to-day -day and you want to tell people about all of these things that are going on in your brain, but that's just what you want. That's not necessarily what they need or what they want to hear or what's going to stop the scroll for them. So I actually, that's one of my favorite parts is like going over the messaging with them and it's very rare that I get an advisor who comes to me that doesn't need some sort of messaging work. So we have to put together like a brand script, story development um, from the very beginning, and they usually love it. And I mean, it's the same thing with advisors too. So when they first meet with a client, a lot of the introductory work is tell me about your big, hairy, audacious goals and tell me about, you know, and they do the exact same thing, which is, okay, well, that might be unrealistic given your current resources, but let's try this. And so we can get to these other goals. Um, and, you know, Nick made a really great post say Nielsen, and he did kind of like the top three things in this one uh, client plan or whatever to help that client. And one of them was like real estate. Another one was brokerage. And anyways, but it was like a little snapshot of what that person's plan was. And you could tell like what their goals were based on the little three elements of the plan that he shared. And it's like, that's the fun part. It's like, hey, what is the why? You know, it, it can be difficult. It's difficult to weave in. But um, once you get that down, you see huge, 
uh, leaps in, in the engagement level. Absolutely, because people are thinking like, what outcome am I buying? Like, am I buying a change in my lifestyle? You know, when we're talking about wealth, it's like, all right, well, I'm thinking about where I am today with my wealth or lack thereof. And then I'm thinking about what I aspire my life to look like in the future. You know, what I aspire to have, what outcome I aspire, you know, is it laying on a beach? Is it playing with the grandkids, like in a field? Is it whatever those like, you know, visual things are? It's like helping people see the possibility of their future with this new wealth that they've acquired with your help. It's not how they acquired the wealth. They don't care how they acquired it. It's sort of this like, you know, I've literally had clients tell me before, I don't care how the sausage is made. I just want to eat it. Yeah. You know, I don't want to know all the components. I, of don't the tell me about the factory. labor pains. Just give me the baby. Right, exactly. <laughs> so it's like in that way, you know, like no one but you cares about how the sausage is made. Probably in reality, they just want to eat the delicious sausage. So show them what the, tell them all about how the sausage is going to taste and how it's going to make them so satiated and how they're going to be so happy that they have this yummy sausage at their barbecue, but don't tell them about how you made it. You know, yeah. like they don't really care. <laughs> they don't really care. Exactly. Um, so that I think is something that we just come back to all the time, even under something as simple as a social post or an email, especially the website. Lord help me. It's the website is usually the worst. I mean, that's usually where the most help has to be made. But once you get that nailed down, then like you just, it becomes, you should, you should sound like a broken record, you know, saying this is what we do, you know, why, whatever your one liner is and um, say it so often that people can't forget it. What's that? They say, you know, practice, you don't, don't practice till it's perfect. Practice till you can't get it wrong. It's kind of the same. That's exactly right. Yeah. And like, you know, you think about the people that go and do the TED talk on stage and like, they all seem so confident and just like the delivery is so great. Well, probably they didn't actually say it how exactly how they wanted to say it, but they know it so well. They know their story so well. They could tell it 10 different ways and it would still, the delivery would still be the same, right? Like the outcome would still be the same as like telling that story. So yeah, when you tell your story a bunch of different ways, um, and that's why it's great. Like, this is a great practice, right? Content is a great place to practice telling your story a bunch of different ways, like, you know, coming from this angle, from that angle, from this way, you know, experiment. I think there, you know, I know I told you tell, tell your story all the time with the same tone of voice or the same sort of personality, but like you can still within that personality you have, like sometimes deliver serious content, sometimes deliver helpful, like how to content, sometimes deliver like a humorous story or like an example, you know, it doesn't always have to be coming from, it's always funny or it's always helpful or it's always serious or it's always heartfelt. Like you can play around within, you know, that personality you have in that zone you have and like different types of content resonate for different types of people. Exactly. So like if everything you do is always how to, that's going to get formulaic and boring. If everything you always tell is like a funny story, that's not going to show your expertise. Right. But it's like, if you mix up the content types within that personality that you have, like you're showing not only that you're a well-rounded person running this company or a well-rounded team, but that like you have different perspectives and it's not always formulaic and it's not the same. I have one friend who's an author that was using the same template for every social post for promoting his book. And I told him several months ago, like, you got to get into Canva and you got to start learning how to like make your visuals match what you're saying. Cause like the same visual every time is boring AF and no one wants to see that, you know, like it's just going to turn into wallpaper. Like, again, you have to stop the scroll. Like don't create more wallpaper, create something that's exciting that people are going to be like, wow, I need to see what that is. Like it just catches their eye. It could just be a stock photo. Like yeah. I posted today, something about like burnout. Like I don't like the concept of burnout. Cool. And I just found like a photo of, of a flame. Did I take that photo? No. Did, did I have to design it or have special? No, I just went on Unsplash and got a photo of a cool flame, you know, to like talk about this concept of burning out versus lighting up. You know, like, so something as simple as that, just like find a good stock photo, credit who you, who did the photo, <laughs> that's the best practice. But like, you know what I'm saying? Like sometimes we make it so complicated. Oh, we have to have this custom graphic. Oh, we have to have, you know, it's like, we don't like, you don't. We, we make it harder for ourselves basically. Like we'll, we will find any excuse to make doing our job harder when, if we could just simplify and have a simpler story and a simpler way of going about like our content then like we would have more leads and we would be happy. So, you know. 
We love to overcomplicate things, we humans. Yes. <laughs> Unnecessary. I think one thing that you said was really interesting was about appealing to different types of people. So if you just have the same formulaic post every time, somebody, some group of person might really like it, but it's only going to be that same, same group of person. So maybe um, a nurturing person would really like when you tell a heartfelt story, but a more uh, detail-oriented super organized, wants to know what, what's going on, is going to like more of your case study type stories. Or um, somebody who is fun and adventurous might like when you're a little bit, you know, more out of the box. So, you know, showing these different sides of yourself helps to draw in the different types of personalities that you're going to be appealing to. Um, and now you might say, oh, well, you know, I don't, I, what if I don't want to work with that personality type? Well, you don't actually know. We're we're all comprised of like these different personality traits um, and different ones will appeal to us at different times, even based on our mood for Christ's sake. I mean, if I, I was saying something about, somebody posted something about cold emails and I was like, depends on my mood, depends on my mood. I'm just going to be honest with you. Sometimes I'll just delete it and say, screw you. Other times I'm like, Oh, that was so nice of them. Look at them hustling out there trying to make their money. And they should listen. <laughs> it's so you just true. never know. That's really true. Yeah. And that's why I think like experimenting with like the frequency, the type, the tone, like all of that can be like a really interesting exercise. And like, you know, this kind of gets back to the brand archetypes thing is like, it's not only how you want to be seen, but it's also think about like hold an archetype is almost like holding up a mirror, like back to the yes. mirror analogy to your prospective buyer or client. Ooh, I just got goosebumps. Right. Because it's like, okay, let's go back to the car thing. If I ever, almost everyone buys a car, right. Unless you live in New York. So luckily if you live in New York, you can ride the subway, but if you're anywhere else, which is most of us, like, you know, then you're buying a car. So like, there's lots of different kinds. But like, what does your car that you buy and you drive say about yourself? Some people don't care. They're like, I just want something to get me from point A to B. And so that's probably something like a Ford or a Chevy. And that person probably sees themselves as the everyman, which is one of the archetypes, right? It's like the Levi's and the Bud Lights and the, you know, the Ikea's of the world. It's like, I'm just like one of y'all and, you know, I'm just going to drive the Ford made in America. Yay. Like, you know, so that is one type of car buyer. But then there are the people that like fancy themselves to be adventurous and like, you know, want people to see the mud on their flaps and like they went off-roading and had this great adventure and then ask them, oh, where did you go that was so muddy that your yeah. car got this dirty, right? That's the Jeep. That's the, that's the explorer, the adventurous person. So like when Jeep doesn't add and they're in these extreme environments and you're like, most Jeep owners would never, ever like take their Jeep up a mountain. Like we all know that, right? But like, but that personality type wishes they could leave their desk job and go scale a mountain in a in their car you know what I mean and go off-roading and live this like rugged life and they like they aspire to be that so when you have an ad like that you're holding up a mirror to them and saying look what you could be if only you bought this jeep or you know if only you bought the mercedes you would look like the boss even if you're not the boss yet but you aspire to be the boss if you buy the mercedes you're going to look like the boss why do you think all these doctors and training buy mercedes because they like are aspiring to be a top surgeon. They're aspiring to be a top doctor. They're in their, still in their training, but they want people to think they're dope and then think they're the boss. So they buy a Mercedes, you know? Mm -hmm. So like you, these archetypes are holding up that mirror to someone and saying, do you want your life to look like this? Do you want to be like this? Do you want people to see you this way? Buy this thing then, buy this program, buy this, you know, <laughs> do my advisory program, buy this car, buy this drink, buy this whatever. And you will be able to be this thing. And that's sort of like the psychologically manipulative aspect of advertising that people will call out and say, this is like, you know, a dark art, <laughs> but it's true. Like, you know, human psychology is a powerful thing. Yeah. If you think about, we all vote, we use our money to vote for the kind of person that we want to be. We're in not just investing in the car we want to drive. We're investing in our image. We're investing in the kind of person that we want to believe ourselves to be. And it almost goes back to like, if your habits, your habits are a vote for the kind of person you want to be, but people vote with their money. <laughs> so if you yes. present an advisory service that shows them the life that they want, that they can have, they're going to call you, they're going to be on your, your calendar. That's, that's all there is to it. So 
Nora, you have provided us with a wealth of information. I certainly am not going to take any of more of your time today, but why don't you go ahead and tell us, uh, tell our audience where we can find you. Of course, we'll also put her information in the show notes, um, but go ahead. Sure. Well, the best place to find me is on LinkedIn. So you can just look up myself, Nora Denuzo, D-I-N-U-Z-Z-O, since no one can spell it. Or you could look up Pitcher. It's the one with the lemon because there is another Pitcher that is a software company in Switzerland. So not that one, but the one that's a little cute lemonade Pitcher. Um, that's me. So you can look at me up either of those two ways. But yeah, LinkedIn is where you'll see most of my content and my breadcrumbs of what I talk about and how I help my clients. If you go to my website, you can do that too. It's pitchergrowth.com. So G-R-O-W-T-H. Uh, picturegrowth.com, all one word. And there you will just find a web form with like a fill in the form that says need to grow, fill out this form. <laughs> so if you want to become my client, go fill that out. If you want to know what I talk about, go to LinkedIn. But yeah, uh, my website is a work in progress. Uh, for the longest time, I had it just say coming soon at the top. And one of my web designer friends called me out and they were like, Nora, you've been in business nine months. You're not coming soon. Take that we're down. Not coming soon. You have, you, you, you have come and you're here. Um, but so, yeah, but it's kind of a running joke that like, I don't have the time to like put into my website because I'm busy with clients, which I like it that way. But um, eventually I would like to tell more and say more about what I do on my website. But for now, you can go look up that all up on LinkedIn. So yeah, feel free to add me, follow me, connect with me. If I can help you, let me know. Nora is super fun to connect with. You guys would definitely not regret it. Thank you so much for coming again. I know this is going to be super valuable information for my advisors and anybody else in your network that comes to listen. So thank you for coming. Thank you so much, Olivia. Thanks for listening to Get Advisor Fit with Olivia Looper. To learn more about Olivia and how her firm, Lexicon Content Development, can help you, visit lexiconcontentdevelopment.com. If you want to reach out to Olivia on LinkedIn, you can find her at Olivia Looper Lexicon. And if you'd like to follow Olivia on Instagram, you can find her at Lexicon Content Development. Till next time.